Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places close to our home. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Places Where We Go. We are at episode 88 today. It's a new year and we hope you all are doing healthy because we sure have had a string of unhealthy (laughs) unhealthy things going on. Yeah, I mean, so many people that we know over the past month and a half or so not only have gotten ill, but kind of what I call the boomerang effect. People have gotten sick, then they get better, then they get sick sick again. again. That happened to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the last one to get hit. Yeah. So you you were down for the count two days ago. I was. It was nasty. But you're up and about? Yes, I'm finally better. And ready to talk about our latest trip. Which was absolutely awesome. So we are just back from visiting Sedona, Arizona and nearby places. And today we're going to start a series of podcasts that cover the multiple days that we spent in the area. Sedona is known for breathtaking red rock scenery. Native Americans regard the land as sacred. Some say the earth here has energy vortexes. The area has much to offer to tourists from hiking, excursions into nature, art galleries, and great food are among the many things that can fill your itinerary when visiting Sedona, Arizona. We visited for five days, yet Even after that time, we left with quite a number of possibilities on our itinerary that we didn't get a chance to do. So we have many things that we can do if we go visit again, Julie. Yeah, which is usual for us. Yeah. If we wanted to see everything in just one certain spot, it literally would take two to three weeks. Yeah. So the trip that we took was split between kind of three different types of things that we did. First, we had several national and state park sites that we visited. Those are going to be the subject of today's podcast. We were able to take in a number of hikes in the Sedona area. We'll get to those on our next podcast. And we also had some day trips and excursions. And if we can fit them in next time, we'll do that. Otherwise, that will be episode three of the Sedona series. So, Julie, Sedona, what was the draw that took us there. I think since we have had this travel bug, that's one of the places I've repeatedly said that I've wanted to go to. Yeah. I know I'd never been there. You had never been there. And there was so many times I would look at pictures, travel pictures, and see these amazing mountains and formations within that area. And it just drew me. It was just this mm-hmm. fascinating and beautiful. So we ended up going in the winter, which was also a very different experience. And that kind of took us there because we have, for the last few years, had time off 
after Christmas. So that's an, a time where we could get out and do something. And, you know, we had gone to other places that we just kind of, actually, I think I'm the one that kind of just put a finger on the map and said, okay, here, this is where we're going. So when you said Sedona as a possibility, I believe it was you mm-hmm. that said Sedona well, was a I, I have I had in the back of my head the memory of you multiple times saying you want to visit Sedona, and this seemed like an opportunity. So off yeah. we went. Yep. Originally, we had decided to invite friends along, and as life always does, things get in the way, and it ended up just being you and me. Well, they have a new baby that's coming very, very soon, so I think they didn't want to risk being away from home. Oh, we totally got that. We're like, yep, we get it. Plus, we were RV camping, and our original intent was to actually camp in a place called Williams, Arizona, which is a gateway to the Grand Canyon. And that was something that they weren't sure of because they were aware of the weather and what might happen. Yeah, they were definitely much more familiar with the terrain than we were. And I remember our friend Joe kept saying, hmm, Williams might get some of that winter weather. It might be like cold to the point that in the RV there would be concern about pipes freezing and things like that. Right. And I was thinking, Arizona, (laughs) you got to be kidding. (laughs) And as we would find out, and we'll probably get to this a little bit later, there was much to that. There was much to that. Although I was not Arizona. No, there's not going to be bad weather. I knew that the elevation levels got very high. Yeah. And I knew the possibility of some wet stuff, either rain or the white stuff would happen. Yeah. We actually were booked for a couple of nights in Williams. And as we were getting closer and closer to our trip and looking at the weather report, we quickly realized that the nights that we were supposed to be in Williams, the nighttime temperatures were going to be below freezing for sure. This was before we ever left. Yeah. And so we got concerned about that. So before we left, we actually canceled the Williams nights, Mm -hmm. still ended up going to that area, but we stayed every night just outside of Sedona. So Mm -hmm. we kept in an area where we didn't get the below freezing weather. Yeah, and it worked out great. So let's talk about getting to Sedona. So Sedona is about two hours north of Phoenix, or if you're familiar with where Phoenix is in Arizona. As I think you mentioned, Julie, we took the Airstream there, we took the trailer there, and because we were coming from Southern California, the distance from where we live to get to Sedona struck me as too many miles to travel in one day that I think either you or I are comfortable traveling. I think we like to keep our travel probably maximum to about five hours behind the wheel. So we decided that we were going to spend the night kind of halfway. It wasn't exactly halfway. But in Quartzsite, Arizona. So we had found a place called the Shady Lane RV Park, and that was our halfway spot. Which really wasn't halfway, but it got us close enough. Closer to, to Arizona in- than, than to home. Right. Yeah. Well, we were in Arizona. Quartzsite's in yeah. Arizona. Yes. Just, <laughs> o- just over the border. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think for us, like roughly what, like five hours to get from home to Quartzsite and then from Quartzsite... To where we ended yeah, up. Yeah, you were just thinking, let's try to drive the maximum we're going to drive. In where a day. would that land you? Yeah. So that was a, it was about quartzite. That and, you know, kind of looking at the eastern part of California, you know, decent places to stay. While there was options for us, like if we wanted to boondock, we could have done that as well too. 
but we ended up making the decision we were going to stay at, a, at an RV place. So a few notes about Shady Lane RV Park in Quartzsite, Arizona, just to kick us off. When we were looking for a place, I did hop on Campendium on that website. I use that a lot for when we're finding places to stay in the Airstream. And in looking for an RV place that was quote unquote an RV park and that had very good ratings, this site came up and it was super affordable. On the way to Sedona, when we stayed at Shady Lane, it was just $30 a night, which I think is like super reasonable for a place to stay. And this particular park, they changed their rates on January 1st. So I think that's when it's kind of their bigger season starts. So the prices like this year would have gone up to $45 a night after January 1st. But uh yeah, impressions about Shady Lane RV, we were able to get a pull-through site. Well, one thing on that, though, just for information for those that might consider Shady Lane, is that if you pay by credit card, I believe there's a fee attached to that. So you ended up oh. paying cash. Yes, I did. Yeah. I'm not a fan of fees. None of us are. No. So bring a few bucks with you if you go to Shady Lane RV, and you'll pay just a little bit less. A little bit about the RV park here. We did get a pull-through site. When we got there, we were escorted to our site, which we I always appreciate. And my impressions of the campground, I think three things come to mind for me. One, it was very quiet. Two, it was very clean. And the third thing I appreciate is it was very level. What's so funny? <laughs> I just remember him pulling you in and you didn't like what he was doing. You were like, no, we're too close. We're too close. Oh, that was the second time. That was the second time. The first time was easy. Yeah. The second time you were like, no way can do. And look, you did it. Yeah. We, we stayed there twice. So we yes. stayed there on the way to and on the way. And I kept back. saying, no, there's room. There's room. No, there's not room. You just need to listen to me. Amenities at the campground. They had full hookups and they have full hookups up to 50 amp. We only need 30. There's a bathhouse on the premises with showers, which you used. I used. They're very clean. Very nice hot water. It is coins. So if, you know, I forget exactly how many minutes. I put a dollar twenty-five in quarters and I had plenty of time to take a shower. I think the only thing that didn't work out well for us at this site was the Wi-Fi. So that was iffy at best. And uh, we pretty much didn't use it because we couldn't use it. So uh, Yeah, I'm wondering yeah. if Wi-Fi anywhere around there is very good. Yeah, so other than the Wi-Fi, nice place for a one-nighter. And there's nearby grocery and food. We stopped one day. We just took a quick walk to a little grocery store within walking distance. They it, had quite a bit of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just a mini mart type of thing. They had it was a smaller grocery store. And Quartzsite appears to be super popular with the RV crowd. So this is like one of many places you can stay. A lot of people do go to Quartzsite and they just put their trailer on BLM land and just boondock. So that's another option there. Nearby, there are a few things to do. There is the Quartzsite Museum, the main trading post, and the High Jolly Tomb Site which we were able to not see any of those things. No. But if we go back to Quartzsite, we might stop to do one or more of those things. So anyways, that's a little bit about Quartzsite. And now off to the main attractions. Let's talk about national and state parks in the Sedona area. 
So while we were in that area, one of the things that we did do was the national and state park sites near Sedona. The first one we're going to kick off with is Montezuma Castle National Monument, and that is located in Camp Verde, Arizona, which is where our uh, trailer was at. Yep. Montezuma Castle is the third national monument dedicated to preserving the ancient living spaces of the Sinagua Indians. The National Monument was established in 1906. There's a parking area. It's kind of tight. It's not real big. So, And I think this place is very highly traveled, so it might be a little bit difficult to get a parking spot, especially in the summer. And especially when you have a super monster-sized truck like we do. Oh, yeah, that was a little hard to navigate. (laughs) But you walk in, they have the check-in site where you pay your fees. The park rangers are there. And it's a self-guided tour. It's not long at all. It's just about a third of a mile. And you walk along this sycamore grove. And as you're walking in, you look up towards this hillside or cliff area. And you can see this magnificent structure built in to the side of this wall. It is 20 rooms with five stories to it. It looks like the most unusual condo you ever saw in your life. And literally, it's built in to this cliff. The cliff is uh, limestone. Limestone is very soft rock. So they dug into this rock and started constructing this housing for the Native Americans there. Yeah, and I forget how old they said that they think this is, but I'm I'm oh. I'm thinking it was like 700, 800-ish years old, yeah, roughly, right? Yeah, So least. you think about, you know, that far back, no access to the kind of technology that we have today to build something like this. Mm-hmm. Plus, there would have had to been like ladder systems built because these... They had pl- pictures yeah, yeah. of how they entered it because there's only one way to get into this structure and that's through a ladder. Mm-hmm. And the structure itself had partially been reconstructed because over time, of course, some of it had crumbled away. Um, There's also many structures below that that um, are gone, but you can see the foundations of those structures below. And it was absolutely fascinating. The part that survives to this day, the Indians used a stone and mortar system to create this amazing dwelling. And it is estimated that the castle took over three centuries to fully complete. That is a very, very long time. It was a form of shelter from flooding. The path is flat along the Sycamore Grove, and it is fed by Beaver Creek, which is one of the few perennial streams in Arizona. This is the creek that also floods And they had many, many crops that were devastated by flooding from this creek. Okay, so it is called Montezuma's Castle. And you may think that maybe the Aztec, Montezuma, had actually been there. He has not. There is no connection to the Aztec emperor, Montezuma, for which the site is named. Other than the fact it bears his name. That's it. That's it. Somebody decided that they were going to call it that. So you mentioned that upon arrival there, you go to the place where you pay your, your entrance fee. So there is that the visitor center that you walk through. Initially, we stopped in there first, as I always do, to get the National Park Passport stamp for our passport book. I highly recommend that anytime there's a visitor center, stop there first. Yeah. 
we we spent a little bit of time in there looking at the looking, exhibits they had a little that they museum had. Yeah. thing in there, yeah. And it was also during this trip that we bought our last ever National Park System Pass as this time next year, one of us is going to qualify for the Lifetime Senior Pass. You're welcome. Thank, thank you, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so when we were at the visitor center, like all the visitor centers, there's always a, a book section. And I remember going to the book section and there was, there was a few that we had seen that discussed Native American foods. And there was like one book with recipes. And I remember I mentioned to you, and I probably have said this in the past, is where are the Native American restaurants in the United States? Restaurants. Now, mind you, he's saying restaurants. Yeah, because there is a known history of what Native Americans ate. There's ideas of the types of, you know, foods that they would have prepared. There's even cookbooks in the National Park store with, I was thumbing through their amazing looking recipes. And I'm thinking, what a missed opportunity because there should be Native American restaurants everywhere. And so we got into a discussion about that. And I would be interested in hearing uh, the thoughts of our listeners. Yeah. If somebody knows. Yeah. You got some information on that. Let us know. So I'm going to connect the dots on this. So we did spend about an hour at Montezuma Castle. And on the way out to our next site, we had passed by this place just in the middle of an open, it was kind of like a, what, open dirt lot? Yeah, it was, it was, there are certain tribes that are attached to that land there. Um, The Apache, and then there was... Several others. There was one in particular. And and they happened to be, these people that had this stand happened to be from that second tribe. They also have a casino there. They weren't Apache. Well, well, how come it's called the Apache Fry Bread Stand? I asked that lady. Yeah. She was not Apache. Maybe the guy was Apache, the the guy that made the fry bread. Nevertheless, we stumbled upon this place that, that was called the Apache Fry Bread Stand. And it was just kind of this this stand-up thing in this dirt parking lot. But there was a lady there who was taking the money, and she had beadwork for sale. Mm-hmm. And it's handmade beadwork. And some other handmade crafts, Necklaces, right? yeah. bracelets. I got the girls' um, breaths mm-hmm. that were beads. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty cool. And the gentleman who was working the kitchen-y thing was making Apache fry bread. So I had to stop. Because as my, did many others. Yeah, in my quest to eat Native American foods made by Native Americans, here was my opportunity. So you were sorely disappointed, though, when he told you it was gold medal. Oh yeah, we asked him yeah. like what kind of flour he was using, and it turned out it was gold medal flour. So I thought it might be some flour made. There from, is a traditional flour that they use, yeah. but he says it's very sticky and glutinous. Yeah. And he prefers gold metal. So they were serving this fry bread with, there was like four different types of toppings you could select from. We selected fry bread with honey. And and then, so it ended up kind of being like a, a mix between a pancake texture and a donut, kind of like a fusion of somewhere in, yeah. in that mix, right? I kind of thought it was more like a pita. But dessert-like flavor, for, yeah, right? Yeah, there's a sweet. sweetness yeah, to it. Yeah. So anyways... I digress a little bit, but I did get my Native American taste. I still think there's a huge opportunity 
for Native American restaurants. And if I ever see any anywhere, we're, we're stopping in for some food, Julie. So Absolutely. And if anybody knows where any are, please drop us a line because I really would like to sample some of that. So after we had our fry bread, we're off to our next destination. Which was only a 15-minute drive north of Montezuma's Castle. And it's called Montezuma's Well. Now, mm-hmm. here we go with this name of Montezuma being injected into uh, these sites. Again, Montezuma, the emperor, the Aztec emperor, did not go there. So I don't know why they named it that. This site, you go into the parking area. It has a very, there is a park ranger there. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, a very small little shack. Yeah, so this place didn't even have like a proper visitor center. It was just a small no, shack, I, right? I, but I think that's the intent because I think it's attached to... To the other one. The other one. Yeah, and I think the, the tip there or the giveaway there is when we stopped here, I did ask the park ranger if they had the passport stamps and she said yeah. yeah. So I grabbed the stamp, stuck it in my passport book and then I realized right away, hmm, this looks exactly the same as the stamp I got at the other place. Yeah. So tip is if you're getting stamps for your passport books and if you go to both of these sites, you only need to get a stamp from one of them. One, because they are connected. Yeah, they look literally exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once you arrive in park, you walk up this pathway. Again, it's a short pathway, one-third, I think she said about one-third to a half mile. It depends on how far you walk, I guess. Yeah, Um, because you could walk just around the well, or you can extend the walk and go down to a nearby creek. Yeah. So you can walk around, you go up to the well, and I remember we were walking the path, walking the path, and we get to the well, and there's this overlook right at the well, and it is a water source. And it is sunken into the ground. And in this sunken in water, your water uh, that comes up from... Some kind of like underground Underground source, right? something, yeah. And then goes out to the creek, I believe. Yep. Again, this is something that's been here for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Now, wait, when you tell people that there's a well here... Like if somebody was going to tell me that they they saw it's a, a nat- well, like a natural well, yeah. But I mean, when I hear well, I'm thinking something that's five feet across or ten feet across. That's not what this was. Okay, no, not at all. So this area, due to nature and and what happens in nature, this crater had dropped down into the ground, and the water that was underneath it began to come up into this well. It is very, very large. It's 385 foot diameter water source that was used by the Sanagwe Indians over 600 years ago. This trail includes stairs and has some steep areas. So you have the choice of either walking on the top, just around the well, or there is stairs that go down into the well. And this path will lead you directly to old Indian dwellings. The Indians had actually created some living spaces there also. Yeah, also like in the cliffs. Yeah. In the cliffs. Yeah. In the cliffs. So, And you can still see the um, dwellings on the top and you just walk around because they're quite prominent on the cliffside. Mm-hmm. We went down the stairs and we walked down to um, the dwellings that were way down below. I enjoyed that walk immensely. The rocks were unique. You can see the different jagged edges. And I mean, I almost pictured just the ground just like falling in on itself. And that's kind of what it looked like. 
The great well is 55 feet deep and at the site water flows into the basin at nearly the same rate that water flows out through a swallet at one end of the basin. Nearly one and a half million gallons of water flow through this well every day. That's an amazing That's amount an of amazing water. Amount yeah. of water. And, and what's interesting is like when you're standing there looking at the well, you can't tell that there's that kind of movement of water. You would think if there's over a million gallons of water coming through a system that you would see current, you would see water movement, yeah. and it almost just looks like a still lake when you're looking yeah. at it. There's more fascinating things about this uh, water too. So as we learned, there was a park ranger that was walking the area and he was very pleasant to talk to. And he had told us that the levels of arsenic in this water are astronomically high. Dangerous. Humans seriously cannot survive on drinking this water from the well. So it really wasn't a source of drinking water for the Sanagwe Indians. But it is said that they use the water for irrigation for their crops. And there are there's some studies of some of the bones that were found around that area of the American Indians that were very high in arsenic. So they're pretty sure it affected them. Now, remember, at this time, 600 years ago, uh, Native Americans only lived very short lives, maybe 40, 50 years old. And they usually died of tooth decay or accidents. Accidents was a huge killer in this type of living. You can guess, it's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was everything was, you're living off the land. And um, so... We also learned because the arsenic is so high and other levels of of certain chemicals, natural chemicals, that there are no fish in this well, none. There are animal life that live there, but they are animal life that can sustain themselves in this type of water. And one of the examples would be leeches. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you decide to take a swim in this water, first of all, don't swallow it. You're not allowed to, by the way. And secondly, check your skin out as you walk out because you might find a few little tagalongs with you. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely a very unique ecosystem here, huh? Yes, yeah. very much so. There is no charge at this site. So there's no fees to be paid. It's free, which is it's nice. That's a nice... You don't see that very often, so it's, it's kind of nice. And again, I think it's because it's attached to Montezuma's right, castle. right. It took us about an hour, but it was a nice walk. We did the stairs, came back up, went back around, took the pathway to Beaver Creek, which was beautiful. They had an example of the irrigation that they used to and from Beaver Creek, the, the Sinagua Indians used. So that was interesting. You only saw a little part of it. But. Yeah. Now, it is when you go down to the creek area that you get a sense of the water coming out. Yeah. Because you can see it there. You can see it. Yeah. 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 So that's interesting. Yeah. So that was our second stop, and we would then be off to visit a state historic park. So about 12 miles away from Montezuma Well, we arrived at Fort Camp Verde State Historic Park. And this is a site that was once occupied by U.S. Army troops in the late 1800s. It was an active military base during the Central Arizona Indian Wars. And today you can enter several buildings that are preserved at this historic park. You can see several original homes that were once used 
as residences by officers, enlisted men, families, and doctors, and we walked through all of these when we were there. This park is the best preserved example of an Indian Wars period fort in Arizona. There's three historic museums on the site. They're all furnished to look as they would have back in the late 1800s. And the buildings are listed on the National and State Registers of Historic Places. You start at the visitor center where you pay a modest entry fee, and the building then continues with offering a few interpretive exhibits, period artifacts from military life and history on the Indian Wars era. So if you're interested in that part of history connected to the, the U.S. military, as well as the connection to the Indian experience, you can get a taste of that at Fort Camp Verde State Historic Park. Another site we went to is Tuzagut National Monument. Again, it is one of the three that are connected together in that area. The footprint of the Sinagwe Indians extends at the Tuzagut National Monument. It is estimated that in AD 1000, they began building a 110-room Pueblo at this location. You start at the visitor center and you can see a collection of artifacts in the museum that highlights various aspects of the daily life among the Sinaguan people. The visitor center also has a number of books related to the history here, plus shirts, magnets, the usual type of things at visitor centers. And here too, you can get your national passport stamp. More exhibits continue on the outside, including how the site was unearthed. A self-guided one-third of a mile loop trail takes you through the Pueblo itself. Whereas the Montezuma Castle site has a single mammoth cliff house, the ruins of Tuzagut have clusters of dwellings that are built on a sandstone ridge close to the Verde River. The largest dwelling on the site is found on top of the hill, and it features a reconstructed ceiling and a ladder leading up to the roof. It is believed that the settlement was once home for about 250 people and had about 80 rooms. The site was abandoned in the 15th century. It's amazing that they were able to find this because it was under... Oh, it was all it was covered so, under dirt. It was dirt. so abandoned so long ago. It was completely covered in like a mound. Yeah, so there's pictures there that show the excavation and like... It's amazing. Yeah, so I guess once upon a time, it kind of just looked like a hill. Yeah. And underneath it, just this amazing footprint of these ancient Indian dwellings. Yeah. And a lot of what you see at Tuzigut are just kind of the foundational elements, but they're able to assess... Kind of like you said, how many dwellings there were, there's been some reconstruction, some of the Pueblos were more intact than others. And we were there as light was going down too, so it kind of made it even, I don't know, I thought it was cool. Yeah, and the views were pretty spectacular from there. Panoramic views everywhere you looked, especially when you went up to that top level. So it took us about an hour. I think you could even spend a little more time, but we Mm -hmm. ended up, you know, having to leave because of time itself. Yeah, because we were there kind of close to their closing time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The entrance fee here covers your visit for both Montezuma's Castle as well as the Tuzigut National Monument. And then, as we said, Montezuma's Well yeah. is free. So all these these three areas are connected to one another. Yeah, so if you're in the area, they're within a reasonable driving distance also of each other. So highly recommended if you're interested in the national park system 
to go to all three of these sites. Again, you'll get a sense of the Indian culture that once thrived in this area. And when we were driving to get to the Tuzigut National Monument, we had driven through this small town called Cottonwood, Arizona. And it was one of these quaint little out-of-the-way towns. And we were thinking, hey, this would be a neat place to check out. So on the way back, we decided to stop for dinner here. And we stopped at a place called Belfry Brewery. Of course, a brewery. Of course. My favorite. So we both had porters for our brew choice. I ended up with a salmon salad and you had, what, a burger? I had burger with fries. Burger with fries, because you're on vacation, right? Not so, meat, though. Yes, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but we did the fries. So th- that was a, it was a nice dinner. And then after that, we just took a stroll through this, uh, it's a very old town looking part of Cottonwood. It's a nicely preserved town and has that old style architecture. The main street only runs a few blocks but it's full of small boutique shops. There was quite a few wine tasting rooms. So that seemed to be, mm-hmm. actually seemed to be a big thing in this part of Arizona. Yeah. I was surprised. I think we saw more wine tasting in this part of Arizona yeah. than we see where we live. And we live just on the uh, edge of wine country yeah. in California. Yeah. So, you know, Cottonwood looks like a great example of an old style Main Street USA, another neat place to check out if you're in the area. How about some fun facts about Sedona? Mm-hmm. More than 100 movies were filmed in Sedona's Verde Valley with actors from John Wayne to Elvis Presley. Dozens of Westerns and Hollywood classics were filmed here, including Patchy, The Karate Kid, Midnight Run, and many, many, many more. Hollywood productions provided an economy boost to the area that encouraged the growth of businesses and paved the way for the thriving downtown we enjoy today in Sedona. Mm -hmm. As we often do, we talk about things that we would do if we had more time. So one place that was on our list of things to do, but because of timing, we weren't able to get there. And it's kind of connected to the kind of places we were talking about on today's episode, a place called V Bar V Heritage Site. So this is a place that has the largest and most well-preserved petroglyphs in the Verde Valley. The site has nearly a thousand petroglyphs that are said to be still clear and still visible after a thousand years. This is the one of the places we'll visit when we go back. So what we ran into during our visit is this particular site is only open Friday through Monday from 9.30 to 3. So with everything else that we had on our itinerary, plus we ran into a bit of weather, those things combined made it where we couldn't get to the site. But if you're in the area and if you have time, this could be an interesting place to uh, to go visit. So if you do get to any of the sites that we've talked about after listening to the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us a note at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. And we hope this episode is helpful to you for planning a trip to the Sedona area. And Yet there's more to come. We will be talking next about uh, the several hikes that we took while we were in Sedona. Mm-hmm. One great. quite comical. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a, a great, great hiking area. Absolutely. So, Wonderful. Yeah. So come back next time and we'll share with you where our hiking boots took us to. And sticks. So thank you for joining us on the Places Where We Go podcast. And if you liked our episode, please hit the subscribe button. And if you really like us, give us a really good rating. We'd love to hear from you. 
Till next time. Thanks for joining us at the places where we go. Bye. If you have any comments or information to share with us about travel, you can write to us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram as The Places Where We Go. You can find us on Twitter as The Places Where One, the number one. And you can watch our travel adventures on YouTube, where our channel name is The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at The Places Where We Go. See you next time. Bye now.